This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about how to invest serious money. With me today, I have certified financial planner Kelsey Banky, and we're going to talk a little bit about this concept of serious money. I, I think it's kind of a funny um, euphemism because when people talk about serious money, it means something different to everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember being a kid and got like $100 one time. I was like, what am I ever going to spend all this on? Uh, and nowadays, geez, I can't go to the grocery store without dropping that kind of money. So that's right. Um, it's definitely relative to, to different individuals and probably even relative to where you are at in life and your age. So yeah, in your perspective about what serious money really means, or even about what the definition of being rich means or wealth means, it shifts and changes over the course of your life. But what I like to say is that people's definition of the term serious money usually means more than what they themselves have. <laughs> because when you have built up your own store of wealth and you think about serious money, then you you usually are, are putting it in terms of, well, this guy over here has way more than I do. Now that's some serious money or that guy's rich. I'm not rich yet because I have this much, but if you were really rich, you'd have more than what that is. So people's definition of serious money certainly shifts and changes and is unique to every person. <laughs> so whatever your definition of serious money is, I want you to plug in and think about these investment strategies when it comes to investing your serious money. So the first thing I want to say when it comes to serious money, so let's just make an assumption that we're talking about multiple zeros. And um, is you really need to have a cohesive game plan about what to do with your money. So when you are creating this game plan, it probably is going to have several components. If you have a multi-million dollar portfolio and you've decided that that's what serious money means, then multiple components in your game plan are going to mean you have an investment strategy, you probably have an estate planning strategy, you have a cash flow strategy, you figure out how you're going to accumulate more, and you also have figured out how you're going to distribute it, how you're going to live on it. So having this cohesive game plan surrounding your serious money is really step one of the whole process. Yeah, there's a lot of things to think about when investing money, and, and one Mary you haven't mentioned yet is taxation. Mm -hmm. So really having a, a strong understanding of the big picture of your uh, serious money and, and that uh, game plan is crucial for making sure that serious money and, and all of that can achieve the goals that you have for it. Right. So the bigger amount of money that you have, the higher tax issues you're likely to have. And the more your focus has to shift to a strategy to minimize taxes or to create preferential tax treatment for the money that you do have. And so all of that has to wind into a game plan. And it's, it's oftentimes hard for people to go about figuring these things out on their own unless they are actually someone with a financial background and really enjoy this you know, then it's not something that is everybody's ball of wax. So the second thing is really to go about interviewing advisors 
and then finding a team that's on your side to help you manage this serious money. Now, the the team that I'm talking about is more than just a financial advisor like Kelsey and I are. It's including your CPA. It's including your estate attorney. It might be including your business attorney. It's probably including your insurance people. So a team is somebody that needs to be assembled the bigger the amount of money that you're talking about. This can be very, very effective. I don't, I don't think people really give this as much credit as they should. And um, I think to relationships that I have where we have um, worked with an entire team of people for customers, and it's just amazing how much I feel how much more robust those relationships are right. around because everybody is in the know to the extent that they need to be in order to make sure that um, everything's being as effective as possible and that opportunities are being taken advantage of. Um, so do not overlook the value that that can bring. So here's the thing is that every good team, I'm going to use a football analogy here, Every good team needs a quarterback. (laughs) And generally speaking, a certified financial planner is the best candidate to be the quarterback because they're the ones that have the most knowledge about the broadest base of different things in your cohesive game plan. So your your financial planner is someone who's going to understand the taxation. They're going to know what the investment strategies are. They're going to know what the estate planning is doing and the insurance planning is doing. And they're the ones that are looking at it from kind of an overall umbrella view, not just from the tax silo that the CPA might be looking or the estate planning silo that the attorney might be looking or the insurance silo that the agent might be looking at. So the overall view like that quarterbacked by your financial planner is going to help you ensure that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing and that all parts of your planning end up being cohesive instead of competing. Sometimes we see things happen like somebody's doing something in their tax planning that is completely contradicting what's happening in their estate planning, and they don't know that they're contradictory and their attorney and their CPA aren't talking to each other. But if you have that quarterback in there that's coordinating all this for you, then when it comes to serious money, you really get a better cohesiveness of your game plan. Absolutely. Or another another common one that we see when people first start working with us is, what their estate planning says doesn't line up with the beneficiaries on their accounts and mm-hmm. things like that, um, or the, the assets that they're trying to give to other um, individuals are not really the most tax beneficial assets to give. Um, so there's just a lot, like Mary said, a lot of things that come together and your certified financial planner having education in all those different areas can help bring everyone together and speak a common language and reach your goals in a more effective way. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about then is when you have some serious money, you have to consider what stage of life you are in. Are you in the accumulation stage or are you moving into the distribution stage or are you in some kind of hybrid weird mode in the middle? So accumulation stage tends to happen with our younger years, you know, where we're building our wealth, where we're still working and we're not utilizing the investment pool that we have to live on. So not utilizing the investment pool you have to live on tends to be the major marker of being in the accumulation stage 
and then the distribution stage tends to start when you actually have to start taking money, distributing money from those assets to actually live on and meet your day-to-day needs. So those are kind of how to to delineate between the two stages. So with that in mind, where are you? What stage of life are you in? Because how you invest your serious money is going to depend on what stage of life you're in. The younger you are, the more your focus is going to be on risk levels, diversification, things like that, and and making sure that your money is invested in a way that it has a chance to promote the maximized amount of growth. But when you move into that distribution stage, you really have to start thinking about how to protect and grow your money, not just start to have it grow. Absolutely. Access also is going to drive, be driven, excuse me, by uh, what stage in life you're in. So you might need access to some of your money in that accumulation stage in the event of emergencies or things like that, or, or certain goals that are going to come before the distribution stage. But most likely you're not going to need access to the majority of your money uh, in the distribution stage. It's all about access, um, but maybe not for all of your money again, but it's a different kind of access that you're looking at. Um, you know, periodic access or things like that. So that'll help drive your investment plan as well. So what Kelsey is talking about comes down to something that we call liquidity, meaning how much of your money do you need liquid access to? Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about how to invest serious money. Let's hope that everybody listening has this question on their mind, <laughs> that everybody has some serious money to invest. <laughs> All right. So when we were talking about this before the break, we were talking about how liquidity plays into things and that it can be a good strategy to segment your money. So what do I mean by segmenting your money? I, I mean that there is a purpose to money. And understanding what the purpose of your money is, is going to help you create the right segments. So when you're in that accumulation stage where maybe you're still working and you're not depending on these investments to live on, the segments that you want to be paying the most attention to are how much do you need liquid, how much do you need access to versus how much can be invested that can be illiquid or that can be tied up for a period of time without crimping your lifestyle. So when you're thinking about that, you want to be aware of what are some planned expenses you have coming up, what are some things you might want to spend some of that money on in the nearer or shorter term, and that nearer or shorter term really is more like a five-year period. So when you're in that accumulation stage looking at it like, what kind of cash am I going to want to spend to deplete these assets so I know I have liquidity? You also really want to focus on having money available and liquid accessible in case of an emergency. And the larger that your pool of assets is, the what we see happen is a shift in how people feel about their emergency money. When you're younger, you might think $1,000 is enough for emergency money. And then after a while, you start to think, gosh, if I had $10,000, I'd be set. And when you start getting into serious money, you hear people saying things like, I need at least $100,000 sitting in the bank at any given time for me to feel comfortable knowing I've got access to cash. So it's kind of interesting, Kelsey, isn't it, how that shifts and changes over time? It really, really is. And um, just when I think I can you know, guess what somebody's going to say, then <laughs> they surprise me. So um, how you feel about that, that's absolutely important to 
consider. There's lots of formulas and stuff out there you can look at to help you determine what your emergency money is. And that I think should play a factor into it. Uh Usually help people through formulas to help them understand what would be more prudent to have in in savings. But if that number for for somebody is coming in at $20,000, but they feel way more comfortable and and would lose less sleep at night at $30,000, then okay, go ahead. Um, But if that number is $20,000 and they're saying, I really need $150,000, I might challenge that a little bit. But is there a a better way to keep this money, um, to invest this money to get you some more potential return but also maintaining maybe a little conservative um, risk with that so that uh, they don't feel like it's over, over invested in too exposed sure. to risk. So right. I think you, you can find a happy, a happy place in there, but there is a point where too much um, just sitting in a, a checking account is, is very likely too much for you. And it's important to understand um, how you feel about it, but also what should you have? Yeah, you want to maximize the effectiveness of any of the pools of money that you have. So when you're in that accumulation stage, another thing to pay attention to is that serious money often has additional segments that we don't see in, in sometimes traditional investing patterns. So serious money might have a chunk of it that is slated for venture capital or investments into private businesses. Um, serious money might have a chunk of it that is slated for real estate purchases or things like that. It might be active real estate purchases where you actually physically are the owner or the landlord of buildings, you know, residential or commercial, or it could be something that's allocated for some type of real estate trust, a REIT or something like that. It depends on the person and what they enjoy or what their, you know, risk tolerance levels are. But Real estate could be a component that has a segment of it. Now, these things tend to be illiquid, meaning that it's not easy to turn them into cash. And so that's why the first thing we have to look at is that liquidity component that we talked about. And then we start to segment the rest of the money based on what the purpose is and when we think people are going to use that money. Now, in the distribution stage, it's a little bit different. And we've done shows on this in the past that in the distribution stage, the segmentation of money is really about what are you going to need to use from this money to live on? And how much you need to live on that over time is how you should bucket your money out. So we recommend a bucket planning strategy in the distribution stage where you have a now bucket, which is for more of that immediate short-term need and emergency money. A soon bucket, which is for where you're likely to take income from over the next 10 years. And then the later bucket is going to be money we depend on after that soon bucket is depleted. But that that later bucket can be a little bit more aggressive and try to be getting growth while you're spending out of the soon bucket. So with that in mind, when it comes to segmenting your retirement money, um, the distribution strategy, like I said, is a very different segmentation process than the accumulation stage of life is. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about how to invest that serious money. All right, I don't care how much money you have. The next thing I want to talk about is diversification because one of the best things that you can do when you are an investor, no matter what the size of your portfolio is, understand how to effectively diversify the assets that you have. Absolutely. Diversification, it applies to all levels of assets. Now, as you get more and more and more serious money, the amount that you're willing to risk 
might go up if if you're willing, you know, if you feel like you have plenty of money over here in this segment, your segment that you're willing to apply more risk to might increase and therefore might get a little more concentrated in certain things. But the overall portfolio diversification never goes away as a, a sound strategy um, going forward. Right. So. The more money you have, the more different layers of diversity you can add in. But all money from an investment perspective should have some basic diversification principles applied. So the way to figure out what your diversification should be really does start with what's called a risk tolerance level. And a risk tolerance level is going to help us understand how much risk you're comfortable taking. And it's going to ask questions, things like, you know, how much upside are you wanting to capture, but how much downside are you wanting to protect against? So let's say that you were somebody that that ended up having a moderate risk tolerance level, meaning you're kind of middle of the road. You want some of the upside, but you don't want to have all the downside risk that a pure stock portfolio might have for you. Then with that in mind, a moderate portfolio is going to have somewhere between 50 to 60 percent of the money in something that's stock based and then 40 to 50 percent of the money in something that is not stock based. So it might be fixed income or bonds or alternatives or real estate or things like that, but it's not stock market based. And so your risk tolerance level is going to drive the percentages that go into those types of classes. And then within the stock based side of things, there's another myriad of ways to break it down. So you want to look at how much do you want in large companies, mid-sized companies, small companies, international companies. And in the bond side of things or fixed incomes, how much do you want in long-term bonds or intermediate term or short term? And in the alternative side, how much do you want in alternatives and what type of alternatives are out there? Alternatives are designed to kind of hedge the market. They're a way that you can attempt to make money whether the market's going up or down because they aren't tied to the stock market directly. So many of them are tied to things like commodities or currencies or things like that. And and so they, they juke and jive in a, in a way that's different than what the actual stock market does. And that's why having some in those can be a hedge against poor stock market performance. So with that in mind, the diversity first starts with your stock ratio to fixed income or alternatives ratio. And then within each side of those, we go down to a deeper level to figure out how to actually allocate those things. That can be incredibly overwhelming for somebody to try to figure out on their own. And so that's why most financial advisors start with effective diversification as a pretty important part of the conversations that they're having with someone. Okay, so once you've got your diversification set, then what? Then what do you need to do? Regularly reviewing is is really important. Um, diversification um, to be effective requires management. You need to mm-hmm. be paying attention to it. You need to be monitoring it. That doesn't mean you need to be making all sorts of trades and changes all the time necessarily, but you do need to be um, reviewing it and checking in on it with some level of frequency. Now that frequency could be annually, could be quarterly. Some people like to look at it monthly, um, but you do need to set a regular review period 
on your diversification on your accounts in order to make sure that the plan that you put into place is still working, still um, in the same plan that you had um, and hasn't deviated too far from what you set. What um, we've talked about in many shows before is the idea of skew. Um, and if you are invested, it, it's inevitable that you will have skew at some point um, between the different investments that you started with because they're not all going to perform exactly um, the same. They're going to have different performances and that's kind of the point of investing in different ones. So making sure that you have um, reviews to address any skew or drip that happens um, is, is important to making sure that your plan stays um, in, in line with what you originally wanted to do. So I think that one of the things that Kelsey said is especially important is it's important to look at it on a regular basis. Your life changes. Your life changes probably rapidly sometimes. <laughs> and when you have a major life change or you have something big come up, or even if there's something from an economic perspective or um, political perspective in the country, it can have an effect on your portfolio. So regular review, especially when it comes to serious money, is incredibly important. It is not a set it and forget it type of strategy. The bigger the portfolio you have, the more you want to stay in touch with your money. And staying in touch with your money is going to mean reviews with your advisor, reviews of your cash flow, understanding and making sure that your tax situation is being maximized. So bringing in those conversations with CPAs and then making sure everything coordinates back to your overall estate planning. So again, going back to the advisor, the financial planner being the quarterback of your team, when you are regularly reviewing and staying in touch with your money, it's usually a collaborative effort between the team. So for people that we work with, our larger portfolios, we are regularly talking to their attorneys and regularly talking to trustees or CPAs and things like that. And when we do reviews of things, we're bringing them into the conversation to make sure that the left hand always knows what the right hand is doing. And that's one of the most effective things to consider when you're managing serious money. So we hope that these pieces of information have been valuable for you. If you've built an accumulated wealth or if you've just come into some sudden wealth, maybe inheritance or you won some money in the lottery, if you were that lucky lottery winner, these are some things to think about when you are figuring out how to invest your serious money. Thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.